Hi everyone, Luke here from The Broken Meeple. Just a quick note about my ongoing Patreon campaign. I hate to ask for money, but if any of you out there wish to support this channel in that way, then please visit the page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple. It's listeners and viewers like you that make this channel what it is today, and even as little as $1 a month goes a long way to going towards the hosting fees and to provide new equipment that allows me to improve the quality of this podcast and the YouTube channel. I want to let you guys in on future top 10 lists as well as let you submit questions and stories for future inclusion on videos and podcasts. So check out the page if you like, but if not, I hope you enjoy the show. So take care. See you soon. This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. Home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 17, Expensive. It's been a while since the last podcast episode, and for that I apologise, but have I got a show for you today? I am joined by Mike Barnes from Who Dares Rolls to talk not only about games we've both played recently, but also about the recent controversy with the pricing of games, and to talk a bit more about the upcoming tutorial app Diced that's soon to launch on Indiegogo in the near future. Hi folks, welcome to the Broken Meeple Show, and this is just a quick intro before we get into the uh, proper stuff with myself and Mike. Sorry it has been a while since the last episode, it's been a very busy month, and you know, normal service will now resume, but let me just go into some detail as to why. Firstly, it has been very busy work-wise, just my general job. You know, August tends to be full of a lot of forecasting projects and that, and they need to get done. It means extended hours at work. Secondly, because this is the anniversary of the Broken Meeple, I do uh, do like a top 100 each year. And as you might have seen on my YouTube channel, those top 100 videos have been going up. I believe we're up to the top half and have already recorded the next 20 games in that batch. So you'll see those going up soon. But they take a lot of time to record to edit on top of a lot of video reviews I've had to do as well because I'm getting to a stage where I need to start limiting review copies because it's getting a bit overwhelming to catch up. So whilst I've got the week off work this week, I've been mostly getting on with those reviews and that to get me to a stage where I can say, okay, that's it, that's enough. Now let's limit how much I come in and just have it trickle through because I want to do other things like top tens, I want to keep the podcast going, etc., etc. Thirdly, I was meant to be on holiday this week, <clears throat> but I've been spending a fair bit of time with my ex, and I say my ex because some of you might have known that I was in a relationship recently, but things happened, I'm not going to go into details, this is not, you know, it's not something to diverge like that, but like I say, faults on both sides, I was an idiot, you know, it's, you know, things happen, and you know, we had to break up whilst on holiday. It was a bit of a shocker for me. It left me in a bit of a state, but getting by one day at a time. And I will at least say that the support I've had from friends online and offline has been 
absolutely fantastic. So those of you who have sent like a, a nice word on Facebook or Twitter and that, who have got in touch, thank you so much. Um, it's meant a lot to me. I will be fine. I will bounce back. You know, it's not the first breakup I've suffered, but you know, I will. I will be back, raring to go. I've got board games. I've got great friends. I've got this blog. I've got all sorts to keep me busy. So I will get through it. It's just one of those one day at a time deals. But obviously, that shook me up a bit. It used up some time. And obviously, you know, recording the podcast wasn't the first thing I wanted to get done at the time. So, you know, these things happen. But like I say, raring to go. And that's for another time. And that's essentially the excuses, really. So, yes, I am sorry that the last podcast episode was a while ago. Um, just one last thing I want to mention. Some of you have mentioned as like queries as to what these P-logs are. I started doing them, and it's been a while since the last one. Again, see above for the excuses. But I still want to keep on doing those. However, the name will change. They will no longer be called P-logs. <clears throat> I'll have to update the ones that I've done previously. But I'm going to call them something like broken meeple geek chat or broken chat or broken geek chat or something something along those lines and basically they are going to be little mini episodes that are purely in response to something else out of geekdom so movie reviews tv reviews things that have come up in geekdom in general like i've done a spider-man homecoming review i did a ghostbusters uh, reboot review and i also did a comment on the recent revealing of the female Doctor Who. Now, there's one or two episodes I'm hoping to do in the near future again. I want to talk about the Defenders TV series and my thoughts. And I also want to talk about the DuckTales reboot that I watched recently. So, you know, they will come out and they're very mini episodes. We're talking 10-15 minutes of me just talking about my thoughts. No weird music, no weird editing. It's just me talking, done and dusted. These will not impact on this podcast, okay? This podcast is still primarily talking about board games. And that's what these main episodes are all about. It's all about board games. Those little mini episodes are just going to get dotted out from time to time alongside the main podcast as kind of like a, a sister project, you know, just something that if you're interested in movies and TV and you want to hear my thoughts, then by all means listen to them. But you know, it's not going to delay these episodes, it's not going to get in the way, you know, this is still a board game channel and podcast. So rest assured, you know, they're just little extras for those who want them. You know, they don't take much time to do, and it's just nice to talk about something other than board games every now and again. So that's just to clarify that. Right, well, without further ado, let me stop making excuses and, uh, you know, asking for everything and get on with the show. Basically, I've got on a trend now where, as well as doing my own podcast show, I want to get some of the local contributors on, and maybe some ones overseas, who knows, to come on the show every now and again. Because I'm sure, you know, some of you like listening to me, and I thank you for this, but I'm sure some of you get bored just listening to me every now and again. So I want to bring on extra voices. It means more editing time, so again, you know, it takes a bit longer to get the podcast done, but those episodes will have two of us at least talking. And ideally, I want to keep it to just two of us, because when you try to edit three or more voices together, it's like, oh my god, it's a major hassle. Two voices isn't too bad, though. You would have heard my last episode where I had Michael May on the show from Two Can Play That Game. That was well-received. So today, I have Mike Barnes from WhoDaresRolls.com on the show, and we've got various topics we want to talk about. So enough rambling from me, let's get on with it. So right now, you're going to hear the conversation we had over Skype. 
I hope you enjoy. Take care, everyone. Podcast on now, so hopefully you'll enjoy listening to this one, and it will be back to normal service as well, you know, to do this one and future ones also, preferably with other contributors. So last time you saw me, well, you heard me, talk with Michael May about, you know, various games and various topics. I think it was Ignacity's uh, interesting blog post that we referred to. So I wanted to get more of the local contributors on now and again to just talk about random topics as and when, because, well, I'm sure you get bored just listening to me on a regular basis, so it's nice to get an extra voice in. So this time... The usual one that I wanted wasn't around, so I pulled in Mike instead. Uh, (laughs) Now, Mike's a good mate of mine from the Southampton Board Gaming Club, but he's, I don't know what to call him really, the founder, the CEO, the head, the face, the mascot, or whatever, for Who Dares Rolls. (laughs) Ah, yes. The the responsible one for that, yeah. Is it? Because, as I say, because there's several of you that work on the podcast, but you're kind of like the one that we see all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the front man. So, I, yeah, technically, I am. I, I refer to myself as the founder of Who Dares Rolls. Sounds terribly civilized and important. <laughs> the founder and the face. <laughs> mm. the, the front man. So, if you if you think of his uh, like logo with the two wings and the dice and that, if you just see that black space above it, or something, just imagine it's his grinning face in there or something, just to complete it. <laughs> no one should have to part with that. <laughs> <laughs> now the. Main reason Mike's on the show, obviously, we're going to talk about some games that we've played. I'm also going to touch on a, not controversial, but one topic of debate that's gone on with regards to the pricing of games lately. But later on, we're also going to have a quick rundown on the new app that's on the horizon called Dized, D-I-Z-E-D, which essentially is going to be like an app tutorial that's going to run for so many games on launch and then eventually have more and more games as it comes out. But more details from Mike on that one later. So for now, just to quick, uh, quickly go into typical things, what games have been played lately, just to, because to remind you that this is actually a board game show. Um, let's start off with guests first, obviously. So I'm just going to talk about a couple, but let's start with you, Mike. Anything of interest lately? Um, so, yes, what have I been playing? Um, I finally dived into the Mechs versus Minions hype train, um, which I've avoided up to now uh, because it was referring back to our later subject. It's expensive. Um, but yes, I picked a copy up because I thought it was quite good to play with the kids. Uh, and I've got to say, I mean, everyone's already said it, but I mean, production quality alone on this thing is just just unbelievable. It's, it is stunning. You do get your money's worth. I'll be honest, I don't feel at any point like I've been shortchanged. Um, and gameplay-wise, you know, it's a bit of a rubber rally. Um, a bit random. I've only played a few games of it. It seems incredibly random and all over the place. So I need to get my head around it. But the kids enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. They're video gamers, so it was good to get them playing. Um, but if you're on the fence and you're interested, definitely you get your money's worth. Um, and it, it's a... It's a random. It's not... It's like a very... feels at the moment quite a light entry-level game. It's definitely getting your money's worth because I was gaming around the two girls I know from the game shelf uh, when we were doing our last Time Stories play. They showed me their copy of Mechs vs. Minions just so I could actually see up close what this production quality was. And I was shell-shocked by just what comes in that box and how it's all arranged. And this is not from a board game publisher as well. This is just, you know, this is a multi-million pound 
you know, oh, yeah. video games company. Yeah, Riot Games. I mean, the guys, if you, anyone out there who's not aware of this, which I'd be baffled if they're not, but I mean, it's come from Riot Games, the guys who did um, League of Legends, who's a massive sort of online game MMO type thing. Uh, but yeah, the, it, any even unboxing videos don't really do it justice because when I finally got it, I just, it's the size and weight. This thing's huge. You could club someone senseless with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there is just, and also another word, on the, on just on the insert design for the thing, the whole thing's got trays and stuff all stacked in that box that holds all the components that go away all back into it really easily. Um, it's just, you know, someone coming from outside the industry producing this thing. And you think of all the inserts, most game box inserts I take out and I bin about five seconds after I've, I've opened the box. But this thing is just absolutely stunning. <laughs> Fratasy flight. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Although, uh, though they have a, there is an insert out. They have actually put an insert out, um, for, uh, for TI4, which we'll probably come on to later on. But that, what I've seen of it, that has a custom insert in the actual box for a change. Yeah, that's actually going to be a first because most of the time you get a Fantasy Flight box, you open it and it's like Red 5 standing by and then you, you just chuck that trench away. It's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> but no, um, it's it's a cracking game. Um, what I played of, of the Minions, it's, it's, it's to say, I, I think it's on the lighter scale. Um, it's got legacy elements, but not much. There's no tearing cards up. Uh, and it, and it, is, it does appear at first anyway, the game as I played of it, incredibly, incredibly random. So I don't know how much strategizing you can do in the game and actually get your game ahead around it. But there's a lot going on and it looks very pretty. It's on the... I don't know. I, I need to try this one before I decide, right, I'm going to spend the money to buy it. Because I know you get your money's worth out of components, but I want the game to back it up as well. And I've not usually grasped onto programming games in the past. I wasn't the big... I wasn't the biggest fan of Robo Rally itself, and Colt Express is not a massive favourite either, but this one sort of, just because it looks so good and it's co-op, I think, might take my interest a bit more. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it to the club one night, maybe, and we run it through, because there's all sorts of scenarios in it, and, they, and they're quite easy to teach and get going. Um, that's to say, I, I'm holding off full opinion until I've really played a few more games of it, because at the moment... I quite enjoy programming games. Um, Rebel Rally is a favourite. I'm not I get, like you. I'm not too hot on Cold Express. It never really did it for me. But um, yeah, I see. It just feels at the moment it's quite random. There's just carnage every turn of the game. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, but it's, it's entertaining. Kids really enjoyed it. So win-win. Fair enough. Right. Well, first one for me. Let's go to the complete opposite and find something that is completely not random. <laughs> There's nothing at all random in this game. That's because most of it comes out of reading a ton of text, and it's the one that I've actually reviewed earlier in the week for Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, and this is the Space Cowboys Asmodee, I think like 10 different publishers have brought this out across the world now, but yeah, it's mainly Asmodee and Space Cowboys who have brought this new version to the forefront, because Starry Games did it originally, now the Space Cowboys and Asmodee have brought out a nice little, nice looking copy, nice little updated one. A apart from a few tweaks to, to read, you know, to add to the reading part, it's mostly exactly the same as the original. They've just brought out a Thames Murder and Other Cases box, which is the one that I've reviewed. That's essentially a copy of the one they originally did from your story. But they've also brought out another box for, you know, Jack the Ripper adventures and other cases, and obviously there'll be more on the horizon, if nothing else. Put it this way, if you like reading, you're going to love this game. Uh, this is goes from one to eight players, but typically most people will only play this either solo, like myself, or at most maybe 
a spouse or another two other players. Because playing it with too many people is just complete chaos and carnage. But you are trying to solve cases that have been made famous by Sherlock Holmes himself. And it will kickstart you off with an, a proper written prologue, as if you're writing the first pages of a novel. It will set the scene, set the story, and then you have these various resources at your disposal from that prologue, but also some other documents in the box like newspaper articles and a map of London and even a telephone directory of all these people you can visit. You know, literally all these people you can visit. It's like reading the yellow pages. And you try to solve the case by figuring out the clues by following leads. So if you think, right, well, I need to go visit this person. He's at this point on this map, right? You find out what the grid reference is. You go and read the paragraph in the book. It's a bit like choose your own adventure in a sense. You know, you go to that bit of the map and it will give you a little bit of extra story. And sometimes it will be proper clues or other times it might just be a complete red herring. Once you're satisfied, you think you've got it, you'll then go to the solution where it will give you some key sort of quick fire questions to give you an idea as to, okay, do I actually know what I'm doing or have I just shot myself in the foot? And then you read the whole solution, which is another bit of a sort of novel writing and compare yourself to Sherlock's score. This is actually, I know it sounds boring just with a lot of reading, but this is actually good fun. I've had a good time just like, if you like deduction games, this is a no-brainer for you. You know, you are figuring out some very good cases here, and it takes a lot of thought. Do not try to match Sherlock's um, score, though. <laughs> so it, it, it tells you how many leads he followed to get his, like, understanding to. To match his score, you would have to be positively clairvoyant. Or, you know, or cheated in some way. It is nigh on impossible to match his score. So you pretty much just ignore him completely and just assume he didn't exist and just say, did I figure it out? Yeah. Did I miss one or two details along the way? Yeah, doesn't matter, we got the guy, it's alright. Justice system works differently in that century. <laughs> but, I've, now nah, I've really got a kick out of enjoying it, but you have to be comfortable with the whole fact that you are reading a lot. Because <laughs> there is a lot to read, there's a lot to absorb. So you're certainly getting your money's worth out of each adventure, of which I think there's like 10 in each box. Each one takes you about anything between an hour to two hours to do, depending on how many people, you know, to get through the whole lot. But it's it's been very interesting that I've really enjoyed it as just a solo game to pick up every now and again if you want to melt your brain for a couple of hours. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, from the books and the, and the old Basil Rathbone movies and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I've played I played this, and I, I personally love the experience. And yes, I agree with everything you said. It is a very thematic wordy experience, um, and it's, it's very player and group dependent. Uh, anyone, you know, your Euro gamers or your people who aren't happy to sit still for lots of thematic text and story because that's all the game is really is thematic text and story and then your deduction and deduction deduction stuff's fantastic in it but um it is very group dependent um, this could you know do so well or, or die a very slow lingering death in the wrong group of people um, but yeah it's it's a great thing i'm fascinated with the jack the ripper, ripper uh, box because it's it's part of uh, that sort of history that has always fascinated me so i might might have to get it just purely for my own personal entertainment. Well, if you've played the first lot, and you can pretty much jump into that one. I, I hadn't played the originals, so I wanted to get started with this one first, work through that, and then eventually get the uh, Jack the Whip ones. And it'll be a while before I get through this, just with time to play games, but uh, it 
it's easier to play this one because I do pretty much play it solo now. I've tried it with like one or two other people at a time and it's okay, but I just find it's a lot easier. You know, you know what? It's a lot to absorb, but I'm just going to read it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating thing to do on your own. I mean, it's better than reading a book and it has, as you say, elements of the choose your own adventure in it, but it's got that deduction thing. I mean, with a group of people like-minded who really are into the homes or the investigative stuff and are willing to read through the passages of text and get into it. There's, you know, it can be really a really great evening's entertainment of people trying to deduct what's gone on, but it could also die, as I say, die a death quite quickly to the wrong type of people. Yeah, you've got to know this text is going on. I mean, I've got a few mates who enjoy things like the, well, I, I like them as well, the murder mystery events you can go to, where you kind of have like a free course dinner and then you solve a mystery. They like that sort of thing, but that's a bit more immersive. It's a bit more role play in a sense. I'm not sure if they would take as much to, here's a bunch of text, read it especially when there's this much in it. But, like you said, it's a substitute for me not reading much in the way of novels, because literally the only book I read is either a cooking recipe book, a, an instruction manual for a board game, or at the moment I do have that Arkham Horror Investigators book with the short stories, because my attention span only lasts so long when I'm reading a novel. <laughs> well, there you go. There's something. So you're getting, you're getting your literature fix off of this, so... Yeah, because that... <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it to certain types of people. It's definitely not for everyone. Uh, and maybe a try before you buy, because I think some people will just be like, oh my God, you know. But for the right person looking for that right sort of game, then yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. There's a good one. Right, your second one then. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to lose my full game of credentials, really, because um, first, obviously, I had Mechs vs. Minions, which is a bit slapdash and sort of mayhem and silly. And my second one I played more recently was... Uh, Super Rhino Hero Showdown, something it's called. It's the it's just out in Germany. It's not over here yet. It's coming out, I think, the end of the month. It takes Rhino Hero, which is like a dexterity game of you building like card houses that you have a rhino going up in, which is liable to collapse at any minute. And, and it and it kind of takes it to Michael Bay levels of insanity because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a four-player game, uh, or it could be five if you've got the original Super Rhino. Yeah. You're building this huge structure and fighting out with your characters on as you go up and uh, across it it's very simple um it's for harbor games you know so it is designed for kids it's a little bit more complex than the first one but this is like rhino hero it's one of those things i can get out with gamers and a lot of gamers just for a five minute ten minute fix of just stupidness um it it's great if it's the one i'm thinking of i think it's called rhino hero super battle or something it's that you You've got the structure and you've got your own little, like, you've got your various superheroes and uh, fighting on there. I think that's what I've heard about it, anyway. Yeah, it, I don't know if you've played the original one or not, but it's a similar idea. But you've got um, different, this one you have different le levels of heights of wall you build. So you can have this structure that starts getting all sort of different levels to it and you're crossing bits and pieces. I mean, these games are all about a bit like Jenga feel to them, is that that thing get bigger and bigger. Um, and you, everyone's like on the edge of the table going, oh, it's going to go, it's going to go. Um, and we got quite gamery with it, where we were blocking people in with bits of wall to make it really a full-on dexterity game to try and move your heroes rather than... It got nasty. It was entertaining. <laughs> I have I have played the original, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it's a kid's game, it's a dexterity one. I enjoy it for a cheap giggle. Was I? Although this one sounds a bit more, I mean, you say gamery, I, I know it's still a kid's game, but I don't know, this one just sounds a little bit more interesting with you actually battling each other on it, as opposed to just simply stop it falling. 
It's got a little bit more. I mean, it's not massive. There's dice involved. You roll a dice to go up the tower, and then if you have a duel, you roll dice in a duel, and you knock people down a level, depending on how many levels there are. So you, it's, it's a battle to try who can get to the top and get, you know, there's medal given for whoever's at the highest point on the tower at any given time. So there's a bit more... It's competition in there. It's competitive. There is a little bit of, you know, battling going on. But we definitely found with when I was playing it with my gamer buddies rather than the kids or whatever, it got quite... It, it turned nasty. I mean, there was people putting walls in special places to really block people off. So it, it was like a real tricky thing to move your character if you had to. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun. It's you know, it's I think it's coming out. I believe the end of the month over here. And it's only it's under twenty quid. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in this box. And if you enjoy those fast sort of silly bit of filler, um, a bit of dexterity in it. And, you can't go wrong with this. It's, it's massive fun. Production quality and harvest stuff's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got young uns and kids in the family, then yeah, definitely, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I can think of some people I know who would get more out of it than I would. Although this would be interesting for the uh, board in the city cafe to have, actually, because I could see yes. that being very popular. Yeah, it would be. It's definitely the sort of thing they could have in cafes and pull out because it's real easy to teach. Throw it on the table, off you go. Um, and it's got all the stuff that kids love, which is you know, carnage, mayhem buildings collapsing stuff like that just don't play with mike it gets nasty <laughs> yeah do yeah unfortunately don't put some gamers in it because it gets ugly it gets nasty <laughs> it's like it's supposed to be just light-hearted fun no game the system no. <laughs> competitive got nasty mm. <laughs> fear my rhino <laughs> okay fair enough so not losing gamer credentials just mike likes light games so, so we go with that <laughs> Anyway, I do play other games other than these things. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got the kids, so it's obviously, you know, you've got to throw some of them in. <laughs> Where it's on there. Ready, second one for me. Probably, well, it's not going to be as uh, entertaining as a Rhino Battle Superhero one, but it's one that uh, reviews, I think, next on Horizon, actually, probably over this weekend. And that's the newest, ex well, I say expansion. It's a standalone set for Ticket to Ride, and it's the Germany map that's been brought out recently. It's been only brought out recently over the here, though. From what I've heard, it was actually in Germany for quite some time as, like, you know, Ticket to Ride Deutschland or something beforehand, and we've only just got an English version of it. But this is now recently shot up as probably my... Not my favourite one I like to play, because that still remains to be the UK map, you know, the one with all the technologies that you can build and having to start off with little cheap tracks and you have to build your way up to Ireland and Scotland. That's still my favourite, but that's a very gamer's ticket to ride. Never teach that to a new player. The Germany map, though, is now my favourite one to teach, more so than the USA map now. Europe's got a few too many fiddly bits in it with the ferries and the tunnels. USA is just a bit too bland now because literally there is nothing in it apart from laying tracks. This one... Still is just laying tracks, but instead it also throws in a streamlined version of the old passenger mechanic that Ticket to Ride Marklin used to have. And I've been searching for a copy of that for ages, so that's out of print and hugely expensive now. So this is now basically, oh, we've got that same mechanic, but let's streamline it. And it's essentially another set collection game in the game. You're collecting these passenger, like, coloured meeples as you go around the cities... And at the end of the game, for all the five or six different colours there are, you'll get 20 points for having the most, 10 points for the second most. So it's a bit like the Sheriff of Nottingham scoring system in that respect. But it adds another dimension to the game because now you can decide, right, well, am I just going to get loads of tickets for the bonus? Am I just going to get uh, short or long tickets because you've got a mix of both? 
And you can also just say, you know what, I don't care about the tickets. I'm just going to have a couple of short ones and then I'm just going to go hoover up all these meeples and go for the end game scoring. And it's very simple to teach it. That's probably the biggest highlight because now I can say, all right, you're new to Ticket to Ride. Well, here's Germany. Two things they got to know. Lay tracks, collect meeples. Pretty straightforward. But even gamers who enjoy the system can get a kick out of it because of the extra thing of collecting the meeples, which in itself can be quite cutthroat. You know, you can get blocked out easily-ish on this map, and somebody may just come along and steal the meeples that you're after. You know, oh, I'm waiting, I'm going to collect some more yellow ones, and then someone just hoovers them up and says, hate you. <laughs> I think Ticket to Rides have their times when they're not quite as family-friendly, but... I enjoy Ticket to Ride. I, I don't actually own a copy of it. I, I know people who have, so that... Heresy! <laughs> I just, you know, it is a, it's a solid game, and I, I'm with you. I, I must admit, um, Ben for the podcast actually picked up the Europe version, um, the UK map version, and uh, I really enjoyed that because it was, as you say, it had a little bit more meat to its bones, a little bit more going on. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested, but I don't know. I'm going to say Heresy. I mean, it was it's, it is a solid game, and and it frustrates me that Ticket the Ride isn't actually as popular and out there as Monopoly because in my opinion it should be as big and popular as Monopoly is because it's such a far far better game just as accessible um, and, it, and it annoys me that it's not on the shelf you know replacing 18 million versions of Monopoly you know people should be playing this instead of Monopoly <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah uh, it's, it's a good game I've, I've not played this version um, as I say I totally stand by the UK one it's brilliant and the earlier version is great especially as I say, another good entry-level game to get people playing. The early versions and uh, just straight vanilla ticket to ride. And this German one sounds like just a little step up because I did enjoy the passenger mechanic from Mark Lee. Ah, somebody's been lucky enough to play the original one. Yeah, the, it, this is pretty much like the next step from USA because apart from having... I mean, you had short and long tickets, I think, with Europe as opposed to USA, but that's like nothing else to teach. So literally the only additional thing in this is passenger meeples and it's just collect them score them the end you know nothing really particularly complex to teach you haven't got to you know do any weird scoring or multiplication tables or strange crafting that and you don't even have a longest route in this one so you can just you know put tracks wherever you feel like it just to get the meeples so it adds that kind of like that extra little path to victory and points have been very tight in some of the games i've had a one point victory at some point recently while play testing this game out and both of us had done completely different things of one going for tickets and one going for meeples so every point counts in that game but now nah, i mean i've got quite a lot of them <laughs> they take almost up an entire calax square um on my shelf by themselves the only ones i don't think i have if we ignore out of print ones i don't have nordic because i don't really need another base set plus i don't tend to play this with only two players and I don't have Netherlands. I think I just didn't fancy the idea of that one for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe I'll reconsider at some point in the future. But it's not like there's not enough map packs for it anyway. And we've just had the announcement from Days of Wonder that we've now got France and the Old West expansion maps due to this, this like, Essen. As if, as if there's not enough. I'm, I'm, we're running out of countries, I think. Cowboy ticket the ride sounds exciting. Well, the, the old, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I don't know if there's much of a cowboy theme as such in it, but from what I can tell, you start off from home cities as you lay out the tracks. So you're not like just, you have to like begin from one point on the board and spread out, which sounds a bit more interesting. 
I forget what the gimmick of the France one is, though. It's uh, I'm trying to trying to recall, but like I say, it's another map pack. Chances are I'm going to go grab it. <laughs> it's normal. Well, done thing. You're board gaming. You should buy expansions. That's what we do. Okay, so next up, briefly, uh, lately in the board game industry, there's been a lot of people basically going on all the Facebook groups, Reddit, you name it, and, you know, most people in the board gaming community are all lovely people. We love you all, we want to engage with you, but there's certainly that small percentage that likes to be very vocal when it comes to getting, you know, their anger out, and a lot of it's been going on since the TI4, or Twilight Imperium 4 announcement by Fantasy Flight where they announced a reprint of the game, which is enough to make any Twilight Imperium fan basically just gore and amazement. I mean, go watch a... I know Sam Healy did a reaction video when he found out, which was hilarious. But it came out with a price tag of $150. And that has reduced slightly, because I have seen UK suppliers... They originally put it on for £150. I've now seen UK suppliers do it for about 130 some about 105 but it's you're talking triple digits here. And it sparked off this whole argument about board games getting silly expensive these days. Not just because the components dictate the fact that you should pay this much, but just because in the old days it used to be a lot cheaper and nowadays it's like it's inflated to insane levels. So pretty much thoughts on that, especially from your perspective as a working as like ex-retailer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, there's, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, number one, you know, it's always lovely to bask in the good old days, but let's think, you know, economies change, uh, and these there's a lot more stuff going in these boxes these days than there ever was back in the day. Um, so, th you know, there is going to be a uh, there is going to be a hike on price just because you know that's going to happen. You've got the likes of Asmodee coming on board, um, big publishers bringing more people on when that happens you're gonna see prices sneak up because they're gonna want to cover overheads and all that sort of stuff i mean i don't know it is you know, initially if you take me back at two or three years ago or, or even longer you know four or five i would have you know had, probably had a heart attack myself if someone had said to me you're going to pay 100 plus pounds for a board game um twilight twilight imperium is kind of like a separate example because that was always a big big box of stuff i mean they don't shrift on the what's in there and it was even ti3 was i think when it in its heyday was probably 80 you know not far off the ton mark itself anyway um and you get a lot more in there but i mean you go out with kickstarter i mean you look at kickstarter most people now kickstarting a big miniatures game on kickstarter are probably forking out in the regions of hundreds and hundreds of pounds not just 60 70 that some of these guys are backing stuff for two 250 pounds worth of of content i mean it's it's definitely we're in that collectory sort of thing so i don't know that's always been a weird argument against that actually because they'll, they'll come on and say like oh we this games are getting too expensive and that and it's like uh, hello cool mini or not is that how often do i see people literally splash out 200 plus pounds on a single game just because it comes with a ton of add-ons or exclusive stretch goals and even i've been guilty of yeah. going for the occasional Cool mini one. I mean, I sort of bail. I 
I succumbed at the last minute to the Rising Sun one, but that will probably be the last time I ever do a Cool Mini or not like Kickstarter ever. And I think that was a one-off in a long time because most of the time I just find it stupid that they've already made this stuff and they just force you to pay more money to get it in there. But yeah, people are willing to pay that much for these games. I'm sure, you know, to get an actual published one that everybody can get hold of for pretty much the same money... It's kind of like almost a bit hypocritical to an extent. I mean, exactly. And people are going to, I mean, you get, I mean, with the Call Mini thing, I mean, I've backed a few of theirs, uh, like Arcadia Quest, uh, and, and you get, if anything, I'd say the issue with the Call Mini Kickstarters is usually all your extra stuff you get, and you do get an awful lot of extra stuff. Um, so much of it is actually you never really use. <laughs> it's all kind of bling and stuff that you'd have to, you know, getting around to actually using it all. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. I've got boxes of Arcadia Quest and half of it I've never used in games. I've played numerous times. Um, so it's kind of that, oh, I want it all, want it all sort of Pokemon mentality. Um, I don't know. I mean, prices and stuff. I mean, if you just look around now, Heavy Hitters is coming out, which is the Weta Workshop design robot game that was on Kickstarter a while ago. I mean, the RRP on that is 150 quid. And that's like, whoa, man. And Heroes of Land and Air and Sea, which was um, uh, TMG, was it? I think they did Scott Elm's sort of big box version. The guy's done a lot of the um, Tiny Epic stuff. There's two boxes of that. One, I think, is the expansion. It's, they're at like nearly 100 to 80 quid each a pop. That's like 200 pounds on a board game. It's getting ridiculous mainly just because a lot of these games are sort of going, oh yeah, we uh, how do we make money and charge a lot? Miniatures. Yeah. And then you've already made a ton of cash. Some games have come out in the past which have literally tried to stretch their boundaries a bit. I mean, the worst one I remember was, uh, I don't think I ever got a chance to review it at the end of the day, but it was the, oh, what was it called? It, you had a... You were on some space prison, and you had oh, the, yeah. oh, the De Dallas Centers. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, De Dallas Centers. I think it was an Eagle Griffin and um, a different other publisher sort of collaboration. It was a massive and, box, wasn't it? It was a ridiculous one. Yeah, massive box. So you couldn't actually store it on a shelf. You know, big mistake. It had your spinny little prison thing in it and that, but generally the artwork and the components were pretty shoddy, and that one dared to charge about 100 to 150 euros or something when it came out at... Essen, and there is no way that price is comparable to TI4 when you think about what you get in the the box. Yes. But even thinking about games that aren't these huge miniature ones, I mean, just general games, you know, you're paying 30 to 40 pounds for a typical game these days. And granted, yeah, it's more than what it used to be, but, you know, hello, inflation, you know, that is a thing. And in the UK, with the whole fact that, you know, the economy is not as great as it used to be, you know, naturally that's going to have a effect from like buying stuff in from European and American markets as well but generally when I think of prices being a little bit over the top I tend to find it more with expansions than anything else because you will pay something like 30 to 40 quid for the base set box and then you find that the expansion costs nearly the same yeah I was I was going to touch on this because I mean a lot of these people that are probably whinging about the price of games probably um, collect LCGs or, you know, any of the FFG stuff, which is expanding like Eldritch Horror or whatever. You know, if you take a base set of Eldritch Horror or even any LCG, you're going to, when you start bolting on all the extra content, you're spending probably in the region of two to three to four hundred pounds on a complete set of any of that stuff. Uh, but it's stealth it. <laughs> so you're, you you're stealthily hit with that amount of money so you don't notice it happening until it's too late <laughs> Whether, rather than that uh, it, I've noticed it happening I just don't want to stop it's, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean because I've still got 
collections of like Lord of the Rings LCG and um, Arkham Horror LCG building up more and more on the shelf. And there's only so often I get to play those. But I had to get rid of Netrunner because it got to a point where I couldn't justify the cost with how often I actually wanted to play the game. And I've grown tired of playing anything in the tournament setting as well. So that's not helped. But there's a, the expansions, I mean, you mentioned Eldritch Horror. That's a good example because the original base game, I forget how much that cost, probably about 40-something quid. And that gave you a complete game. Gave you a pretty good amount of variety in the box, but it gave you a complete game. The small box expansions are about, what, like 10 to 15 bound, and they're, they are pretty solid small box expansions. They just give you more of the good stuff. But the big box ones are usually about 30-odd quid. They're almost as much as the base game itself, but you're not getting a complete game in it. You're just getting another ancient one or two, a small board, and a few more cards. Yeah, I've not. I've only bought the one of the Mountains of Madness expansion, the big box for Eldridge, because I... I... I don't know. It's too much. There's not enough value in there for me to play it enough to get the most out of it. You're not going to use it all in one go. The small box stuff, though that's crapped up in price recently, but the small box stuff I found was actually pretty good value. You got a lot of content in there and added a, added a lot to your game. Um, and that was, seemed reasonable. Yeah, as soon as you throw in a new board, it starts jacking up the price a little bit too much. But I've always just been a case... I mean, I've got, I think... Yeah, I think I have got every single Eldritch Horror one that's come out or something. So it's in, but then all my stuff's in this big Arkham vault that even has my original Arkham Horror collection in it. Even though, when was the last time I actually played that one? But yeah, it has gotten a little bit too bloated. But yeah, we'll, we'll pay for these expansions. And I have seen some ludicrous ones. I mean, um, AEG's, uh, Mystic Veil and, uh, Dice City games, both good games. You know, both in my collection, but the expansions for that are stupidly overpriced. <laughs> you know, you get this titchy little square box with about a few tokens and a couple of cards in it or something, and you have to pay nearly 20 quid for that. Uh, Flip City, you had to pay something like 10 to 15 quid for that. It gave you two cards. <laughs> so it was two different cards. It's multiple copies of two cards. That was like so painful. And I even took a little bit of flack on, um, the review I did for Onitama Sensei's Path, which was an expansion which literally was just, you know, it gave you a fancy box which you didn't need, but it gave you 16 to 20 more cards. And I took flat because I said that even though it's not the cheapest thing in the world, it's still not bad value just because of the amount of variety it boosts up the game. Granted, it doesn't need the big box. And a lot of people were sort of like, well, it's still way too expensive. It should just be in a polythene bag with a load of cards. And yeah, fair enough. It didn't need the fancy box. But I have seen much worse expansions that charge like 20 to 25 pound and give you barely enough variety to, you know, almost like wet your taste buds. Yeah, it's it's very much in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. The end of the whole, I mean, the problem is we suffer from this cart than you, kind of. I know it's an old slogan and it's been around, but I mean, people are spending... Still applies. Yeah, people are, are blasting money weekly monthly on this stuff uh, and a lot of the time they're, they're buying a, a massively expensive game playing it once maybe twice and then going well, i didn't get my value out of that because i've moved on to the new shiny uh, and i think that's the biggest issue that we've got currently is that people are so fast to move on without really digging into games anymore really kind of getting i mean people do it but it just seems so many people are just moving on to the next new shiny before they've really got to the bottom of the last, you know, last month's worth of goodness. Well, it's because we're getting thousands of games released a year now. If you think how many games came out in the late sort of 
the first decade of the 2000s. Oh, yeah. Then compare it with the last three years where you're now getting thousands of games and publishers are releasing games that are literally like mediocre or bad, but they're just releasing them in order to get them out. And it's getting silly that we're flooded with this much. I probably used to be a bit more colder than newish when I first started the board game thing, but that was when I was building up. Nowadays, I'm actually more leaning towards cult of the old because some of my favorite games even from a top 100 that are still games that are a good you know five to ten years old and even though other games have come out to sort of be the same or replace it for some people i've stuck with the old ones alien frontiers is a good example because uh, people sort of latch on to kingsburg fair enough people go mad for marco polo i can't stand that one but i still love alien frontiers it's the oldest one but there's, I still love there's it. a lot to be said for some of the classics um I don't. I, I mean, I, who knows what's going to happen? We're either at the point where we're boom and bust, where it happens in other industries, where it's going to get to the point where people are just going to go, "I'm not paying that. I'm not. I'm not paying that." And it just people are going to start losing businesses. I mean, the Amazon is. You know, not everyone's an FFG out there. Some of these guys are small publishers, and uh, it's you know, it's very easy to throw. Oh, it's bloody expensive, but actually, you know, the cost of printing and carbon, it, it's not a cheap thing to produce. None of these independent board game publishers are millionaires. <laughs> none of them are going to. No. None of them are going to be millionaires. Um, so they're not as if they're like raking in huge bucketfuls of cash from people. Uh, it's, the cost of everything's gone up, and the producing this stuff has gone up. Yeah, you throw minis in, uh, especially on small runs of stuff, that is going to hike up your price. I don't know. It all is. Do you want the minis or not? It's, it's that thing. There is something nice to be said for some decent board game bling. Um, sometimes stuff is overproduced. Uh, Godfather comes to mind as an overproduced game. Could have been a lot cheaper. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's the problem is there's this push for bling. The customer, the customers always right. The customers want more bling. You know, the industry's watching, and the likes of Kickstarter, and especially like Core Mini, and, and a lot of these mini Kickstarters have gone on to million, million, multiple million pounds of profit off Kickstarters. So, you know, people watching going, well, that's where the money is. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's starting to take over. I mean, certainly the prices of anything are going up because we're quick to make comments about, oh, we don't like the components in here or we don't like the artwork. Well, if you want the good components in the artwork, you've got to pay for it. There's, artwork particularly is not cheap to find somebody who knows what they're Decent doing. Decent art design and, and artwork and all that sort of stuff isn't cheap, as you say. Uh, and, and it's taken for granted a lot of time. You know, you, you see so much very well-produced stuff these days. Um, it's, it's glaringly obvious when something hasn't been. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Legendary Firefly. Oh, God, I've, I've never... No, I couldn't bring myself. But yeah, that's like... I'll go well. I don't know. I mean, it's always... It's, it comes back to there's obviously going to be the vocal minority or people on on the internet about anything. Um, it, it comes down to what you value the thing at, you know. Ti four. I mean, I've got Ti three that I paid I probably about eighty quid and I bought it. That has been played. I could probably count them one on one hand the amount of times that copy of that game's actually been played. Um, am I going to buy Ti four? I don't know yet. I, I I need to see a bit more on it. But if it's streamlined, if it is a little bit more, you know. I mean, I haven't got the expansions, so it's kind of like to hunt down the TI3 expansions is probably going to cost me as much as it would be just to go and buy TI4. Uh, but it's all, all case of what you pop value on it. Is it worth it to you, I guess? They're incorporating a lot from the expansions into it, but they're also streamlining a fair bit of it, which is good, because the more it could, it could use a bit of streamlining. Whether I'll buy it kind of depends on 
probably Graham actually. Well, I that's my feeling as well. Is <laughs> <laughs> a Graham problem, right? But the, but the, I mean, you mentioned like how much value you've got for it because you've only played it like one hand count worth of times. But each time you've played it, you've played it for God knows how many hours, and it's been an epic experience. Yes. There was a, I forget the name of the podcast, I think he was on the Dice Tower Network, but uh, Tom mentioned this in one show recently where he disagreed with the concept of a cost per play that the guy had. And I, for one, yeah, also disagree with that concept because they'll say that, oh, I've paid this much for this game, I've only played it so many times, so it's essentially like £10 a play or something. It's like, well, it's not quite the same as that because you could pay 20 quid for a Spyfall game or something, and I might have played it 50 times by now, you know, but each game's only eight minutes, but you have a barrel of laughs in those eight minutes. TI 3 and 4, you only play it probably about three or four times in your life, but you're going to play it with five to six people for about six to seven hours, and it's going to be an epic event day. You don't put, you can't just use math to (laughs) give a price Per play on some of these things. I mean, there's a bunch of games on my shelf I can look at. I can probably only count on one hand the amount of times I've played it or something. But boy, when I play it, it's going to be enjoyable. And that alone is enough to justify the cost of it. You know, people do a... I did an escape room recently. That cost me £20 to do that for an hour. Great fun for an hour. Escape rooms are are great stuff. I mean, it's perspective of everything. You know, if I take... If I go to the cinema and take the family with me, I'm probably going to fork out something close to 60 to 70 pounds for earning popcorn and hot dogs or whatever else has got on. So, I mean, and that's for two hours worth of entertainment. Sometimes, not always. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but, Modern films. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, so if you put it in that perspective, I mean, you go and order pizzas from a, a, a franchised expensive pizza place, you know, four pizzas or enough for a meal. But a family, that's going to run you into the realms of 60 pounds 40 56 i mean it's ridiculous so um it's all a case of what you get out of your game i suppose if i buy a game and i paid 60 80 pounds for it and it sits there and it gets played and it's still there some of this stuff is like heirloom stuff you know mechs versus minions that's something that is going to be around forever i can play that and i can pass that on to friends family or whatever um so it's, it's just as much value you put on the item you've paid for yeah yeah, deluxe versions of games have got a similar thing for the heirloom that, but yeah, cinema is a good one. I mean, I'll pay a £10 for a ticket and I'll go watch a film for two and a bit hours. Well, great, but then that's my total experience I'm ever going to have with this film done until it comes out on Blu-ray, which I'll probably have to pay for it again or get it on download or something. But the game, yeah, I might have bought the game for 50 to £60 or more or something, only played it about three times, but it's still there. Still on the shelf, at some point it's going to get played again. It doesn't matter if it's next week, next month, next two years. It's going to get played, and when it does, it will be enjoyable. You know, probably a bit of the cult of the old comes back to this, but yeah, it's perspective at the end of the day. You know, games are getting more expensive. It's going to happen. You know, you want the bling, you want the artwork. It's going to happen. And the other perspective is, you know, just don't buy it when it first comes out and wait and see what happens, because invariably it's going to probably drop in price over time. Especially if it isn't popular, it's it's going to eventually probably be cheaper. Or pick it up on the second hand secondary market. You know, it's a I, I don't know, but yeah, as you say, they are going to get more expensive. And I, well, I imagine we're reaching that point where now the the going rate of a standard price is going to be fifty pounds. You know, forty five, fifty pounds is going to be that's your cut off for a big box game. Mm. Uh, they they won't be cheap, but 
at the end of the day, you don't need to own every game, yes. people. All right. It's important <laughs> so, safety point. You know, we have a bunch, we have big collections. I have two Kallax shelves, you know, full of games or something. Yes, I have a big collection. I don't need it. I just like having it. But then, you know, as a reviewer, that kind of comes with the, comes with the job. But, you know, the average person who just likes to employ games or something, you can just have 10 games in your collection and have them for years and they'd be your favorite games ever. You don't need to own the next 50 games that comes out at, you know, Games Expo, Gen Con or Essen just because they've just come out. It's not necessary. But, ah, well, I think we've gone on with this one a bit too much, you know. Interested in the comments, guys, if you want to leave them or get in touch. But I'm curious as to what everyone else thinks on the whole expensive games front. Just keep it civil. Alrighty, so last part of this episode, this is where Mike gets to shine a little bit more now, <laughs> because uh, recently Mike's had a bit of a career change with um, his line of work, and he's now associated with a new tutorial app, which got hinted at at the UK Games Expo, and I mentioned it briefly, I think, on my uh, sort of video review of it, but I only had so much detail from that, and obviously a lot more has happened Good since. Gracious, yes. So... <laughs> So, D-I-Z-E-D, Diced. What is it, and what is it you're doing now in association with it? So, yeah, Diced um, is is the ultimate companion app, is what is the tagline I'm going to give you on that. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've given up the job I was doing. I now work full-time for Playmore Games, um, so I'll be up front. I am working with them as their UK regional manager in regards to this. So... A bit of history to it. I mean, Playmore Games is set up in Helsinki, Finland, and there's uh, two gents, two lovely gents called Tommy and Yoni, who I met about four years ago at the UK Games Expo with their game, which was still in its very early stages, the Race to the North Pole game. Um, they come bounding up to me with the backpacks on, didn't know from Adam, bought them a beer, we sat down, they wanted a video done of it, which I did to do, um, and they went on and they've basically formed a company off the back of that, I mean, the last time I remember seeing them was sat in a fire exit, demoing the game to Eric Lang, and Eric getting quite excited about it. And I, I, yeah, that was the cool thing about being a games expo and seeing that happen. I was like, this is the coolest moment ever. So yeah, so they started there, forward, woof, couple of years, um, and now we're at the point of dies is a, is becoming a reality. Um, it's it's a tutorial app. So what's that mean? What is it? So the idea is at the moment they've spotted. A, an issue with the market ball games are very popular yes they are they're becoming more popular and more people are playing ball games however one of the biggest gateways to entry is the dreaded rule book um and it, and it is a problem um you just go onto youtube or go onto bgg you'll see there's millions of you know there's lots of guys out there who just bread and butter are doing his videos rodney smith producing videos of how to play stuff um so they went well there's a gap here we need to do it and that's what the app is the app is uh, a fully immersive step-by-step -step tutorial. So you you download it for free, um, and on there it will have eventually a larger catalogue of games. We're starting off with some, and I'll run through them in a minute. The idea is it's an immersive tutorial that you turn it on, you say how many players are going to play the game, and then the app takes you through step-by-step, -step, teaching you the game as you play. So that eventually you reach a point where the app will go, okay, I think you've got this. I'm here if you need me. Um, but if not, off you go. <laughs> that sounds like a less intrusive version of paper clippy. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
a lot of video modern if you look at modern video games uh they all do this all modern video games you play they have that tutorial built into the game these days whereas the old days when i used to play a video game you used to read a rule book or you just learn and whatever nowadays you play anything like the assassin's creed or whatever the world your first couple of hours sometimes in these things is all actually slowly stealthily teaching you how to play the game with some game in there um, so th this is kind of applying a similar idea to board games and especially to you know we're looking at more people playing um and it's that in getting everyone on board so you know your mum and joe you know public or whatever the muggles in the world who are terrified at the prospect of the seven wonders um because you know you know it's a four or five page rule book but there's still some complex stuff going on in there so this is this is the way it's going to do it um and it's it's a clever thing when i first saw it and and, and i just it is just such a head slappingly you go that's just a cool idea and it sounds how does it work and it does um so that's how it works i mean they're going to indiegogo at the 28th of august actually so the end of this month it goes on to indiegogo for funding because at the moment is the the basic tools of the app are, are built or they're building them but these things take time and they can do this get more games on and program more games and, and do all this in 10 years but who wants to wait 10 years for this to be a reality so this is more about giving them the, the funds and the tools to be able to ramp up the, the, the staffing required to make this a reality in 12 months and not and not lots more um, and it's got all sorts of stuff there's a subscription model on it uh, so the basic app is free so when you when you you can download the app once it's out available you can download it and for free you will get all the tutorials and the rule lookup and it won't cost you a penny um, and that's all going to be on there for anyone so which is pretty cool and the subscription service will offer more things for allowing you to community so more stuff you can you know, gaming groups and tracking scores and uh, collections and contacting people all sorts of that sort of stuff a bit of BGG does um, and it's growing by the day I mean it's still stuff that they're, they're bolting stuff on and, and going for what we want to go with this stuff but yes that's dies. I mean I don't know what your thoughts and feelings are on the matter I'm all up for a tutorial app because you know, there's only so often you can read a big rule book, especially if the rule book's not done well. You know, there are some god awful rule books out there, and there are when you teach people games. I'm always coming across different people where some like to play the game and just see what happens. Some are happy to be explained the rules. I know a couple who can't learn a game unless they read a rule book, which is just baffling. But the I'm more than happy for a tutorial app to help with certain games. When I saw them at the expo, there was only a limited amount of games that they mentioned, obviously, because it was early days. And like the first one they were making a big deal of was like Bang the Card Game, which is not the most complicated game in the world, but it's also one that I don't think is really played anymore since we got the dice one. But with ones that have been suspected on the horizon, like Scythe and... Uh, uh, was it Terraforming Mars, or was it a different one that um, you mentioned? Blood Rage is, is definite. Blood Rage, Scythe, that was it, yeah. um, they got the King Domino 2. I mean, the key... Th and Seven Wonders is on there. The key that they were going for initially was a little bit of everything, um, because they don't want to over-promise. The issue is they don't want to sit there and go, well, we're going to have Terraform Mars, or we're going to have this, we're going to have Twilight Beam 4, we're going to have... Because if you overpromise that, delivering that is is within a year is potentially uh, troublesome. Um, and I've been behind the scenes on this, so I know what's involved. Building these these tutorials isn't a, a five second thing. I mean, there, there's a lot involved in it. It's breaking down the rules into what's the best you know step to teach you this game. 
Um, so you're going to learn it as you play. And, you know, when I, I was with them at Essen, um, we used the app then for demoing Race to the North Pole, which I was demoing that game to German players, and I can't speak a word of German. Um, <laughs> and I was using their app to teach people how to play the game at the stand. And that's when I could really see, was like, wow, okay, there's something here. Um, and we all learn visually. Um, I think uh, board games is a visual hobby and, and we all learn visually. And this thing, will, you know, it talks you through it. It shows you what you're doing. Um, and if you don't want to use the, the tutorial, then fine, don't use it. But it's got a it's got a rule lookup system on there as well. So you can go, you know, I want to learn about, I'm playing Blood Rage. Well, what happens when I do this, invade a land or when I march? What do I need to do? And it's got a very intuitive system where it will show you what you need to know on the rule lookup and then break that down to more information if you want it. So even gamers might not be using the t- tutorials, they're hardcore gamers, but they might be using that rule lookup. Tutorials would definitely work with me, certainly with me personally, because I know there's some of those that would be better on there. And to be able to teach someone something like Seven Wonders with a lot of iconography in a better way, I think it can work quite well. The rule lookup is definitely something that will come in handy because the one of the best sort of rule books that I've come across, like teaching-wise, was um, XCOM when they did the app. Because you could play the tutorial game and it walked through you every single section as you played a pretty hard scenario. But then if you wanted to look up a particular rule, it had one of the best index systems I'd seen where it doesn't matter what rule I'm trying to think of, it's there. And I just search it like a big index. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is much more intuitive than the indexes and FAQs. I mean, that's the undercore thing. Um, obviously, these have been, you know, publishers are supporting this and, and they they want their stuff on there. So were the days of FAQs or errata with dies is a thing of the past because once a rule is, you know, if they go back and they go, oh, actually, this was printed wrong in the rule book. Well, this could be corrected instantaneously on the dies app. There's none of this, you know, re-taping cards or reprinting stuff or going on finding FAQs or looking through pages of BGG forms to find the answer to your stuff. If it's correct and the, and the publisher says, no, this is actually, okay, we, you know, we, we messed up. There's a errata to this card or there's a, there's a change to this. Dyes will have it on there. Um, so that alone, it, for me, was like, well, that's kind of invaluable, really. Um, well, you wouldn't have to amend the rule book, but you would still have to amend components if that was the case. Like, say, the board said you get two of this, but you're only meant to get one. I mean, the, the app will tell you the correct rule instantly, but it won't. Obviously, you'll still have to make note on the board. Yeah, obviously... You know, if you know that's changed, you know, you will still have to paste up. But I mean, there's that getting to that information a lot easier. I mean, you know what it's like if, mm. you, if you're sat there and you're like going, well, there's that moment where you're sat around the table and someone says, well, is that right? Is that, do I really do that when I do this? And you then have to dig into BGG. And there's that then five to 10 minutes worth of going through the, <laughs> going through the forums or looking on there going, oh God, here we go. That's... <laughs> Uh, so that was pretty cool. I mean, and the other thing is, say, the community side of stuff, they want to have this be more than just a rule lookup stuff. So, you know, allowing you to find gaming groups on there or schedule your game nights and uh, track your group's stats, which is, you know, we all love a good stat, all gamers. <laughs> so the fact that you could kind of have that sort of league table of stuff on there on your app of all your your, your buddies you're playing with on a regular basis, all that sort of stuff, it's, 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 it's all going into there. Um, you know, all sorts of gadgets and doodads. Uh, I don't, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's coming, it's, as I say, it's launching in the month. I mean, as an extra special thing to really get you excited, they're doing um, giveaways on there. So they did at Gen Con 
recently just finished, they did a 100 plus board game giveaway and a throne that people just go into the stand and sitting on the throne and get the photo taken. One person was selected to do that and win that, and they won like an instant board game collection. Um, so they're offering a very similar thing on the uh, on the um, on the page, which is 100 plus board games plus a very lovely Gigson board gaming table that one person can walk away with, which is quite nice. So that's quite interesting. Love a bit of free stuff. Um, and they're doing more. <laughs> and they're doing more stretch goals. So as they as they break each sort of achievement each sort of milestone, then they'll add another raffle or another prize giveaway to it. So the longer you're subscribed to the Indiegogo project, the more of those your name's entered into. So there's so there's that as a perk. Everyone likes a good giveaway. <laughs> There's been several of them. Yeah. Certainly, I don't need another 100 games. but <laughs> Everyone always needs a new 100. But we've just yeah. said how expensive games are. Go and get some free ones. Uh, True. <laughs> Geekers and Table will be a bit more of a weird one. That, well, <laughs> Uh, you should have seen the palaver it took me to get my current one in here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what's going on. I mean, I don't want to ram it down people's throats. I mean, it's I'm saying it purely from perspective as a gamer um, and seeing what it's capable of and what it could do. I mean, it's just opening the doors to more people coming on. This isn't about putting anyone out of business or you know stopping. No one's. It's not like the day this launches that everyone's going to stop using YouTube. Rodney Smith's going to be out on his ear in the street. Um, it's. It's it's another way of getting people to play our hobby, and I think that's the key to it. Is there's so there is still barriers of entry to people who aren't um, hardcore gamers getting into our hobby, um, which is mainly the rules. So if this can open those doors and get more families and more people, you know, your Joe public playing board games and playing more hobbyist board games, then that can't be a bad thing. More than up for that, especially for getting the new gamers in. And yeah, you're right. It's not going to infringe on. You know, I mean, content creators like Rodney Smith and other people, you know, that do rules videos or run-throughs. Well, run-throughs and rules videos are very popular. I mean, even I'm debating with the idea of maybe I should reconsider it because I stopped doing them a while back because they were a nightmare to record and edit. But they are popular and everyone does like them. You know, Rodney Smith does the best ones on the planet. But he's done so many and as good as the tutorials on this app are likely to be, there's only so many games you're going to have at once. So it's not like... You know, right, the Dice app is out, nobody watches Rodney's videos. Well, no, he might have done a run-through on Eldritch Horror. Your app might not ever touch that game. So there's always going to be something somewhere, a resource you can go to. Um, yeah, exactly. There's always another ways. And we're not, obviously, we're not going to have every single game. Eventually, the hope is, you know, we, we will have a lot of the big names coming on. And we got some stuff. I mean, Scythe is a huge catch in Stonemaier. I mean, that's a great game. And that's like a really complex game. So it really stretches the legs of it. But as more stuff's put onto the app down the line, I mean, it also becomes a great tool. You can download it for free. And if you're thinking, hmm, I don't know if I quite fancy going and buying Blood Rage. Do I want Blood Rage? Well, download the app for free and then run the tutorial for it and let it show you and teach you the game. And you've not spent any money. And then you can go, well, I quite like the look of that. You know, so there's has that sort of element to it. So um, I, I think it's exciting times, definitely. And I mean, yes, people get scared of new shiny toys, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, the end result is, you know, they're not forcing it on anyone. It is going to be free. There is subscription models absolutely there, um, but they do add a lot of value to it. Um, but it, it, the the rules and the game tutorials are always going to be a free thing. So, which is great. It means that anyone can for free download the app. And make the use of what's on there. Uh, so yes, that's pretty damned cool. 
Ah, there we <laughs> we'll go. soon find out. <laughs> well, we will. So, yeah, so the, as I say, it's coming out. Um, we'll know more when we know more. Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on social media. Uh, and keep an eye on my stuff. And uh, we'll share as much as we know when we know. Um, but, yes, good opportunity. Come out. Join the community. I'm sure it will do fine. And as you said, it's launching on Monday. With any luck, guys, you'll have actually... This podcast will actually come out before Monday if I'm lucky enough to get it done before then. But if not, it will certainly be like very soon after. So we're talking like as soon as you've stopped listening to this podcast, you're pretty much on the spot where you can actually go, oh, yeah, that campaign's out. So it should work pretty well in that respect. So, yes, if it's out, go and have a look. Indiegogo, 28th, it's launched. Go and have a look. Go and have a look at the campaign page. Uh, see what's on there. That's what you say. Easy enough. Go and have a little read. Fair enough. Right, well, we're getting to end of this episode now. We've already been touching over at least an hour, probably, by the time I've edited all, all this stuff out. Joy. But, uh, sorry? It's a joy for you. <laughs> it's a joy. Yeah, exactly. I get that fun. <laughs> you just have to come on and talk. It's easy. <laughs> That's the role of the guest. Yeah. Just talk about stuff. It's very, very refreshing for me. As it's spent many hours editing podcasts. <laughs> uh, that'll teach me for taking too long to get this one out. But eh, it would be good to get some of the local ones on anyway. I've already had Michael. I've had you. I want to get uh, people from Polyhedron Collider on here. It'd be hilarious to get Jay on here if she's up for it. So, well, yes. <laughs> Because people have actually asked for that. People have asked for me and Jay to do a podcast together <laughs> because we tend to go at each other's throats in a sort of jesty way often. And I must admit, yeah, if we did that, God knows what that would turn into. I was going to say, I've been very well behaved on it. I haven't attacked you once. It's a, <laughs> it's, must be. I must need a little lay down or something. Is that, no, you've just seen the light and decided the error of your ways. <laughs> <laughs> or we haven't talked about any games that you love that I hate. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that usually has something to do with it. All right, well, guys, I'm going to wrap this one up. So uh, this is... is you've been listening to another episode from The Broken and Meeble and also Mike from... Who Dares Rolls, which you can go and do a bit of the whodaresrolls.com and you'll find us there. Podcasts, videos, and other nonsense. Well, parental warning, I do use potty mouth on there, so just so you're aware. <laughs> uh, or if you want to know what, no, know more about dies, then obviously diezed.com, that's D-I-Z-E-D.com, or have a look at the Indiegogo project at the end of the month on the 28th. Thank you. True, yeah. This is, it's like, Who Dares Rolls if you want the mature-rated podcast? <laughs> so I'm going to go with it. It's like parental warning is yes, advised. Yes, parental warning. Other, other podcasts are also available. <laughs> that was what uh, um, uh, Richard Simpson like had a go before we kept talking about Kallax shelves and you know Iron Brew and stuff like that. And constantly we're just making references to like other shelves are available. <laughs> it didn't want to sound like we were sponsoring Kallax. <laughs> yes, I'm sure other tutorial apps are available. No, they're not. I was going to say, are they? No, I'm not in any of No, oh well. Other tutorial apps are not available, only this one. <laughs> At least for now. Alrighty, okay, right, well, I'm going to wrap this one up, so take care, guys. I'll see you on the next show. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. You can check out more material from The Broken Meeple at my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook or see my Twitter handle at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, feel free to come along to one of our fortnightly Wednesday board gaming clubs, Portsmouth On Board. Search for us on meetup.com or Facebook for more information. 
Occasional support for the Broken Meeple comes in the form of review copies of games, from distributors such as Estevium Games and from retailers such as Chaos Cards, where you can find great games at great prices at chaoscards.co.uk. Thanks again, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like The Long View or The Geek All-Stars. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.